Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. We're glad you joined us for another session of Bible study. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you to search the Scriptures with us as we investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Kingdom of God. We're asking some of the most fundamental questions that you can ask of the Bible. We're interested to know what it was that Jesus offered the public as his saving gospel message. Why did Jesus speak constantly of the kingdom of God? And yet we seem to hear very little about the phrase gospel of the kingdom in our own time. And yet Jesus, as we've found in the early chapters of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, opened his ministry with a clear declaration that the time was at hand, the kingdom of God was near, and we are to repent and believe in that gospel about the kingdom. We find also that in Luke 4:43, Jesus gave a marvelous summing up of the whole reason for the Christian faith itself. He said in that verse, Luke 4:43, "I came to proclaim the gospel about the kingdom of God. That is the reason for which God commissioned me." There could be no clearer definition then of the Christian faith. Everything centers on the heart of the message as Jesus preached it, and the heart of that message is the kingdom of God. God's kingdom, a very Hebrew idea, and one which we must investigate carefully on the basis of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, which was the source of Jesus' inspiration. You remember that the only Bible that Jesus had was, in fact, what he called the law, the prophets, and the writings. He referred to that threefold division of the Hebrew Scriptures in Luke 24, verse 44. Actually, he referred there to the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. But it was customary to call that third division, the writings, by the name of its first book, namely the Psalms. And so Jesus recognized with all the Jews of his time, and in fact all the Jews of all time, that the sacred scriptures of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, consisted of three divisions, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the writings. Now those books, incidentally, are exactly the same books as we now have in our Old Testament. So we can take comfort from the fact that we enjoy the same Hebrew Bible as the Bible that nurtured Jesus Christ himself. When he was growing up as a child, he was fed upon the holy scriptures that existed at that time, namely the law, the prophets, and the writings. Now, since that time, of course, the New Testament books, the New Testament canon, has been added to that section of the Hebrew Bible. And so we have a complete Bible of Old and New Testaments, or better called the Hebrew Bible, plus the writings of the apostles. Our Bible, then, is a complete record of God's plan and purposes for the world. And Jesus, of course, is at the heart of that plan. Not only Jesus, but the message which he brought from God, his favorite topic, the message about the kingdom of God. We've been looking at the famous parable of the sower or the soils and finding it to be a most illuminating passage of Scripture. It is reported, in fact, three times in the New Testament by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it describes, in the words of Jesus himself, the progress of the message of the kingdom. What happens when an evangelist preaches? What happens when someone sows the seed of salvation, namely the seed of of the message of the kingdom, Matthew 13, verse 19. We've been finding that contrary to much popular opinion, the message does not always succeed. Even though it takes root in the hearts of a believer, it has to remain there. 
Some, Jesus said, believe for a while, Luke 8, verse 13. It simply is not true to say that once a person has become a Christian, he necessarily will persist to the end. Unfortunately, that is much too glib a view of the teaching of Jesus. Luke 8.13 plainly states that some people believe only while the going is good, but in time of testing and trial, they actually fall away. We found the same truth stated in John 15. There are some who do not remain in the vine. Now, they begin by being in the vine. They are in Jesus. They are in me, Jesus said, but some of them do not bear fruit. So the condition of salvation in the Bible is that we not only receive the message of salvation through faith, but that we also go on to produce fruit. And people bear fruit in different degrees, Jesus said, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, or even a hundredfold. That's all found in the precious lesson given by Jesus as he illustrated the fate of his message as it fell into different soils, or in other words, different kinds of people. But the foundation of evangelism in Jesus' mind is the propagation of the gospel of the kingdom, his favorite topic. Let me take you back once again to chapter 4 of Mark's gospel. As we join Jesus and the apostles in a typical session, and Jesus' topic, as always, had to do with the kingdom of God. He gave seminars, as it were, on the kingdom of God, and we have one of these described for us in Mark chapter 4. Jesus, as the master teacher, steps on board a small fishing boat and moves out into the lake of Galilee a few feet. His voice, no doubt, would carry well across the few feet of water separating him from his huge audiences. Jesus could no longer teach only in houses. By this stage, his ministry has expanded vastly. He begins to be a public figure on a large scale. People in great numbers were waiting for Jesus in the neighborhood of Capernaum. Avoiding the pressure of the crowds, Jesus moved out a small distance from the shore of the Lake of Galilee. Mark 4 verse 2 says that Jesus then taught them in parables. Now, what's a parable? Well, simply a comparison. Jesus compares something well known in the world of nature with something important in the spiritual realm. The parable is a brilliant way of teaching. It makes a spiritual point with special intensity and effectiveness. It also has a way of separating the really dedicated from the casual hearers. Some are merely curious, but their curiosity does not develop into a full-blooded attachment to the teaching of Jesus. Jesus was interested in those who were willing to give up all for his cause and campaign, that is, the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Parables are enigmatic to those who really do not understand what's going on. They divide between the real truth-seekers and those who are only partially interested in Jesus and his message. Mark then goes on to tell us that Jesus spoke to them in his teaching. Let me take a moment to comment on that word, teaching. It is what our older versions of the Bible translated as doctrine. Now, doctrine in the Bible simply means teaching. Now, it's fashionable in some circles today to downplay doctrine. That's really a very confusing idea. To downplay doctrine is to downplay teaching. But Jesus was a tremendous exponent of doctrine or teaching. He was recognized as a rabbi. 
as a divinely authorized teacher from God. So playing down the importance of doctrine is nothing less than minimizing the value of Jesus' teaching, which is to minimize the value of Jesus himself. And that's obviously most unwise. Every word or teaching of Jesus is vitally important for us as we seek to develop the mind of Christ. How can anyone imagine that the teaching of Jesus is unimportant? That really is an amazing idea. It's fundamentally wrong to suppose, by the way, that Paul is the originator of Bible Christianity. That cannot be right. Jesus is the one who first preached the gospel. We know that from the accounts given us by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of those writers tells us that Jesus was offering salvation with his gospel about the kingdom. You remember how Jesus had an interview with a certain Jewish leader whose name was Nicodemus, the man who came to Jesus by night in John chapter 3. Jesus broached the subject of salvation immediately with this leader. He said that a man must be born again if he wants to see the kingdom of God or enter the kingdom of God. And being born again meant making a brand new start. It meant repenting and believing in the gospel of the kingdom and in Jesus as the promised Messiah. That's exactly what Jesus said to his audiences at the beginning of his ministry as recorded by Mark. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Jesus commanded the people to repent and believe in the gospel or good news about the kingdom. Exactly the same thing is true of Luke's account of the opening of Jesus' ministry. In chapter 4 of Luke, we find that Jesus gave an inaugural address in the synagogue where he claimed to be preaching the gospel to the poor. We've already discovered in chapter 4 of Luke, in the 43rd verse, that the gospel, as Jesus preached it, always means the gospel about the kingdom of God. In fact, let me tell you a secret. The word gospel throughout the New Testament invariably implies the gospel about the kingdom of God. The strange thing is that we don't use that phrase very often. We tend to speak of just the gospel as though we all understand what it means, or the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of salvation, the gospel of grace, and so on. But we don't often use, if at all, the phrase that Jesus always used when he spoke of the gospel. He defined it as the gospel about the kingdom of God. You can find that very easily, for instance, in Matthew 24, 14, where Jesus said, this gospel about the kingdom is to be heralded in the whole world before the end comes. And in Mark's version of that same statement, Mark simply records that Jesus said, the gospel will be proclaimed. And so you see, the gospel automatically means this gospel about the kingdom of God. That is the fuller phrase, and it gives the key to the heart of Jesus' message. Now the essential seed which initiates the new birth about which Jesus spoke in John chapter 3, was defined by Jesus as the gospel or word about the kingdom. Matthew 13 verse 19. Jesus made it quite clear that his message was the key to salvation. In Luke 8 verse 12, he taught that the devil knew this very well and was engaged in a massive campaign to obstruct the gospel preaching as Jesus delivered it. Luke 8.12 gives us an essential intelligence report. Jesus warned that the devil was mounting his opposition specifically to the gospel preaching of Jesus about the kingdom of God. Luke 8.12 is an essential verse for our understanding of the message as Jesus preached it. 
That's where the devil directs his attention, according to Luke 8, 12. The devil does not want the gospel of the kingdom to make headway. He does not want the idea of the kingdom to be sown successfully in the heart of the potential believer. Jesus, on the other hand, pursued a tireless ministry of preaching that very message about the kingdom, Luke 4, verse 43, and many other verses. This, of course, puts Jesus and the devil on absolutely opposite paths. In the case of Jesus, his whole intent was to get us to believe his message, his word, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the devil works in the exact opposite direction, trying at all costs to obstruct that message, to remove it from the understanding of the convert, and to see that it makes as little headway as possible. We find all of that described for us so beautifully in Luke chapter 8, the parable of the sower or the soils. So Jesus' illustration of the different types of soil in the parable of the sower helps us to understand the dangers which face his own gospel of the kingdom. Those dangers come from the work of the devil and our human weakness, our lack of dedication and our tendency to be pressured by worries and pleasures and the pursuit of money. All these things tend to block our reception of Jesus and his gospel. We've come to the end of our time for today. Join us again as we continue to probe these most vital questions about life and immortality as Jesus offers it to us in his good news about the kingdom of God.